Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Daniel Shaver? Daniel Shaver was born on December 29, 1989. He grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. He graduated from high school in 2007. At some point, he married and had two daughters. The family lived in Granbury, Texas. Daniel was a traveling pest control worker. He carried two air rifles with him as part of his job. Apparently, they were for shooting birds that had become trapped inside of various large stores. On January 18, 2016, 26-year-old Daniel was in Mesa, Arizona as part of his job. He was staying at a La Quinta Inn. After working a shift, he met a man and a woman named Monique Portillo and Luis Nunes in the elevator of the hotel. They had also just finished working for the day. They worked for another company. They were in town for a training. He invited the couple, who he had never met, into his fifth-floor room, number 502, for a few drinks. After everybody started drinking, Monique noticed one of Daniel's air rifles in the corner of the room. It was in a case with no markings. As part of showing the couple the scoped air rifle, Daniel pointed it out of the window of his room. Two hotel guests were in the hot tub and saw Daniel with the air rifle. They were alarmed and went to the hotel staff who called 911. At 9.21 p.m., the police arrived on the scene. By this point, Louise had already left the room. Only Daniel and Monique were still in there. They were both intoxicated. The six police officers who responded to the call were in the hallway near this room. On police body cam video that was eventually released, a 26-year-old police officer named Philip Brailsford can be seen pointing an AR-15 down the hallway toward room 502. This weapon was privately owned by Philip. It had expletives etched onto it, which was a violation of the police department policy. The police ordered the occupants of room 502 to exit the room. An officer said, listen to my instructions or it's going to become very uncomfortable for you. The police also called the room and told them to exit. A few minutes later, Monique and Daniel walked out of the room. They encountered all these police officers pointing guns at them. They were told to get on the ground, and they complied. Neither of them had a weapon. The air rifles were still in the room. Here's what happened during the confrontation in the hallway. A police officer named Sergeant Charles Langley barked commands at Monique and Daniel. Daniel was on the ground. He seemed nervous, 
and a little confused about what he was supposed to do, but he followed the officer's commands and did not make any type of threatening movement. He was on his stomach, and his hands were in front of him toward the police. Charles Langley asked Daniel if anyone else was in the room. Daniel indicated there was not. Charles asked Monique and Daniel if they could understand him. They both responded yes. He then said, all right, if you make another mistake, there is a very severe possibility you're both going to get shot. Do you understand? Daniel said yes, and Monique said, I do. Charles and Daniel started talking at the same time. Daniel said the word, what's, like he was going to ask a question. Charles told Daniel to shut up and said he was not there to be tactful and diplomatic. They needed to obey his commands. Daniel was still on his stomach with his hands in front of him. He pulled his hands back to his face like he was going to rest his head on his arms. Charles asked Daniel if he had told him to move, when of course Charles knew that he had not asked him. Daniel put his hands back out in front of him with his palms facing up and said, I am sorry, no sir. Daniel was ordered to place his hands on the back of his head and interlace his fingers. He complied. Charles then told him to cross his left foot over his right foot. Daniel had trouble figuring this out. He did it the right way, then did it the wrong way, and then did it the right way again. Charles asked who else was in the room. Daniel said nobody. So this is really the second time Charles was checking this out. Charles told Daniel to look at the carpet, to not move, and he reminded him to keep his fingers interlaced and his legs crossed. Charles warned Daniel that if he moved, it would be considered a threat, and the officers would have to deal with that. Charles said that Daniel may not survive it. Charles asked him if he understood. Daniel said, yes, sir. Charles told Monique to come up to her knees and crawl back to the officers. Daniel did not move as this happened. After Monique was handcuffed, the focus was once again on Daniel. Charles told Daniel, do not make a mistake, and ordered him to come up to a kneeling position. As Daniel tried to do this, he uncrossed his legs. Charles barked at him for this violation. Daniel complied and said, I'm sorry. Daniel then moved to a kneeling position and moved his hands behind his back, almost like he was expecting to be handcuffed. The sergeant started screaming at Daniel to put his hands in the air. He said, if you do that again, we are shooting you. Do you understand? Daniel replied, no, please don't shoot me. The sergeant screamed at him, don't talk, just listen. Then Charles issued a series of commands. He said, don't talk, just listen. Hands straight up in the air. Do not put your hands down for any reason. You think you're going to fall. You're going to fall on your face. Your hands in the small of your back are not. We're going to shoot you. Do you understand me? Crawl towards me. Apparently unhappy with how quickly Daniel was moving, Charles screamed, crawl towards me. Daniel started crawling toward the officers. As he was crying, Daniel moved his right hand back toward his waist. One officer can be heard saying, don't, just as Officer Brailsford fired his AR-15 five times, striking and killing Daniel. It's clear in the video that Daniel's underwear was exposed. His pants had moved partially down his legs. He was clearly trying to pull his pants up. Philip Mitchell Brailsford was charged with second-degree murder and reckless manslaughter. 
He went to trial in 2007. He was acquitted of all charges and was actually allowed to return to work temporarily so he could apply for an accidental disability pension. His lawyer claimed that Philip had PTSD. As part of his settlement, Philip will receive just under $31,000 a year, tax-free, for the rest of his life. Charles Langley retired four months after the shooting. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Now moving to my analysis. When the body camera video from this incident was finally released, some people who viewed it thought that Philip Brailsford was issuing the commands, but he did not. It was Charles Langley. One could argue that perhaps Charles was getting a little carried away with his commands, and Philip started to believe what Charles was saying. Like Philip believed that he really should shoot Daniel if Daniel didn't follow every single command perfectly. But at the trial, we see that Charles and Philip were in agreement. Charles testified that he would have shot Daniel if Philip was not in his way. So it wasn't like this was a situation where there was some type of disagreement, like Philip was kind of off on his own. Charles and Philip both had the same frightening mindset. They were both extremely fearful of Daniel and viewed him as a massive threat when the evidence did not support that. Interestingly, Three other officers in the hallway were pointing guns at Daniel, but none of them fired. I will go through several of the items in this case that stood out to me, then I'll provide my summary. Item number one is who actually represented the danger in the situation. The only people carrying guns in the situation were the police. They represented the only actual threat to human life in that hotel. They had a report from two occupants who thought they may have seen a gun, That was the extent of the information available. This is certainly something that police need to take seriously, but they were far from having any type of confirmation that Daniel had a weapon or he intended to use it to harm somebody. Item number two is the nature of the commands issued by Charles Langley. Other than the shooting itself, the most disturbing part of this case is the series of commands issued by the sergeant. His commands were overly aggressive and it was almost like he was taunting Daniel, daring him to make a mistake to justify a shooting. It was a lethal game of Simon Says. Watching the video, I was waiting for Charles to say something like, 
Now stand on one leg like a flamingo. You're standing like a chicken. I said flamingo. Don't you know one bird from another? He was just so over the top with his ridiculous commands. Some of his commands just didn't make any sense. Like he wanted Daniel to cross his legs, but then push up off the floor and crawl toward the police. It is reasonable to believe that Daniel would uncross his legs when he pushed up off of the floor. I think a lot of people would do that. Was this really so catastrophically ill-advised that Charles was justified in screaming threats when Daniel did that? Charles was being confusing and then escalating the tension level when Daniel didn't understand those confusing orders. The condescension in Charles' voice was fairly clear a few times, like when he asked Daniel if he told him to move, when he told Daniel to fall on his face if necessary, and told him not to talk. Daniel may have had important information to communicate, but the sergeant did not want to hear it. Charles was trying to be completely dominating. He was in charge, and he wanted everybody to know he was in charge. He did not appear to have the maturity or judgment to be in a leadership position in that situation. It's disturbing that any of his supervisors would have looked at him and thought he was a good fit for those responsibilities. Item number three is the actual attempt to arrest Daniel. From the body camera video, we can see it's very clear that the police officers were maybe only 12 feet or so from Daniel. They could have easily just stepped forward and handcuffed him. It wasn't like they were 40 or 50 feet away. Charles was playing this whole game with his ridiculous commands when he could have just ordered his officers to arrest Daniel. It was almost like Charles just got it into his mind that Daniel must be obedient. Nothing else mattered. Not preserving life, not common sense, just 100% compliance. His highly rigid thinking prolonged the confrontation when it could have been over in a few seconds. Item number four is the behavior of Philip Brailsford. Many law enforcement experts believe that the verdict was technically correct. Philip was not guilty of any crime. It was not a good shoot, but it was also not a crime. It was somewhere in the middle. Daniel did move his hand down toward his waistband in a way that was consistent with somebody drawing a weapon. His behavior, of course, was also consistent with somebody trying to pull their pants up. Someone responding to confusing commands, a person who is intoxicated, and a person being anxious because armed men are threatening to kill him. All these other possibilities were much more likely than the reaching for the gun scenario. I'm not confident that Philip Railsford was actually not guilty in reality. I think that a manslaughter conviction would have been more appropriate. I think the jury made the wrong decision in this case. Any reasonable person should have known that the police created the danger in this case. Daniel was intoxicated. He was clearly confused about the commands. His pants were moving down his legs. He reached for his pants to pull them up. This is not justification for killing a human being. Right before Philip fired his rifle, Daniel was actually moving his hand forward and it was empty. His hand never made it all the way back to his pants. In my opinion, the police were responsible for the tragic outcome in this case, not Daniel. The police put Daniel in a dangerous situation. I don't think the killing was exclusively Philip's fault. I think the environment was made unnecessarily dangerous by Charles Langley. This was a group effort. As I mentioned, Philip really didn't seem to understand how to take what Charles was saying. So Charles was saying, 
to Daniel. If he made a mistake, he was going to be shot. And it appears as though Philip believed this. Like he thought that what Charles was saying was both for Daniel and for him. Like he couldn't figure out that he was a police officer and Daniel was not. The police deceive suspects all the time. How did Philip not realize that everything Charles said wasn't necessarily true? In addition, it was obvious to Charles that Daniel was intoxicated, but he did not take this into account when he demanded perfection from Daniel. Now moving to my final thoughts. It would appear that Daniel Shaver encountered incompetent police officers. Philip Brailsford was only 26 years old. He'd only been a police officer for two years. He really just was too immature to be carrying a firearm and did not have proper training or supervision for that scenario. Charles Langley was an experienced officer, but he did not have the maturity to be in a leadership position. His taunting and condescending commands created an unnecessarily dangerous environment. Members of the public sometimes worry about criminals running around loose in society, and this worry is justified. But people should not forget that criminals are not the only danger. There are immature, incompetent, and overly aggressive police officers out there, like the ones in this case, who are also running around loose in society. Both groups occasionally kill citizens. The difference is that the police can usually get away with it. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.